0: Hello, I'm Dave and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. Today we bring you the third of three recordings from our Tragic Christmas live event which took place at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 12th of December. This event was a fundraiser for the Brilliant Arts Emergency. Find out more about Arts Emergency by going to arts-emergency.org. And here is Act Three. Tragic Christmas. Hello everybody! Hello. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. Uh, my name's Dave and I'm your host. And at Stand Up Tragedy what we do is we have people stand up on stage and do tragedy. It's a, a variety night where you'll get comedians, you'll get storytellers, you'll get music, you'll get all sorts of things going on and that's what we do at Stand Up Tragedy to share a couple more of the more positive or not positive but funny uh maybe uh moments of my christmas experiences through the years so uh the first christmas that uh, i was with my girlfriend jen who i mentioned earlier on the present that my mum bought for jen uh that christmas that we opened uh, did we open it in front of her no. thank god uh the present she brought my new girlfriend I was, what, uh, 19. Jen was 18, we were, but young, young people. Uh, she bought her some chocolate body paint and a flesh-colored thong. <laughs> now, leaving aside the fact that a flesh-colored thong is a problematic thing in terms of uh, race. Uh, it's an inappropriate thing to buy your son's girlfriend the first like you should not even know like it's, it's just very weird uh so there you go that's a little moment for my christmas past i've got loads more but i'm gonna i'm gonna skip some of them for time and what we're gonna do now is well, well before we go into that i should say buy the fanzine it's been made buy it before you leave please it's really good um, and it, the money goes to arts emergency uh, and also yeah we're a podcast as I said earlier on um, and if you want to get involved with arts emergency, which you really really should do there's two different ways you can do it you can become well you you can become a mentor so you can uh, be a mentor for people who want to get into the arts and, 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 and might need your services, your like advice, uh, and you should look on their website and consider signing up to become a mentor for Arts Emergency. And you can also donate. So donate tonight. Uh, there's, As I said, there are hats to, to put your donations in. So please donate and check them out. Sign up for a monthly donation, whatever, if you can afford it. Fair enough. I know it's hard times for all of us, but that's the whole point of Arts Emergency, is to Make sometimes less hard for some people who want to get into the arts but can't. So, and also I should say that the live art that was created tonight by our brilliant artist Liam is up on the bar. Check it out. Uh, Yeah, there we go. My beautiful assistant, Chris, with his proper, proper beard, is going to show it to you there. That's the art he made tonight. Check it out. It's really good. Um, And Liam's had to go home because he's ill. Everybody's ill. Everybody's going home because they're ill. Because it's tragic Christmas. And that's what you do at tragic Christmas. All right, Chris. Don't get too excited. All right. There we go. Back, back you go. Back you go. Yeah, there we go. Right. And so now we're going to have a sing-along. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to. So here we have on on the keys we have Kit Lovelace who you can follow at My Life in Your Hands on Twitter. <laughs> now I was once in a review re- described as a uh, like assembly time with a slightly mad re teacher, and I, I feel like I'm going to embody that uh, review now as I lead you in this song. What we're going to do is we're going to. We're going to sing about how we're going to have a, a tragic Christmas. Uh, so, right, how are we going to do this? You... I wish you a tragic
1: Christmas. we bring to you and your dream. We wish you a tragic Christmas and a tragic new year. Oh, bring us a tragic pudding. Oh, bring us a tragic pudding. Oh, bring us a tragic pudding. Oh, a tragic pudding. And a cup not fall of tears. We won't go until we get Very good.
0: So, following that, we're going to bring on our next act. (laughs) I know, this this microphone's not playing fair with me, I feel. Sad. But anyway, our next act is a comedian. Uh, It's all confusing because I've changed the running order, something chronic. Uh, So... (laughs) Our next act you can find at FelicityWard.com uh, She hasn't performed with us before but she has been profiled in the same article as we were in The Independent in uh, 2012 so that's pretty cool uh, and uh, she's a, a Melbourne-based comedian Felicity Ward Put your hands together for Felicity Ward, everybody!
2: Hello, how are you? Good? Still here, I have some tragic stories, but they're not that tragic. They won't make you cry like I've been doing up the back of the room. Um, thank you very much for having me. Uh, uh, the, first, the first tragic part of uh, my tragic childhood was uh, when I was younger, my dad had one job, and his job was to get the Christmas tree, and every year he promised that we would have a Christmas tree, and many years we did not have a Christmas tree. What we had instead was a happy plant And if you've seen a happy plant, they are the saddest plants you've ever seen. They're about this tall and uh, they they have banana leaves and that, with a little bit of tinsel around it, even as an eight-year-old, makes you want to commit suicide. Um, The other thing was... uh, um, uh, okay. this is a story. Okay, there's a couple of things you need to know. One, you need to know a drink called passiona. A passione is an Australian drink, it's a passion fruit flavoured drink uh, of the 80s and it went obsolete, uh, then people got excited about it again and it had a cult rebirth in Australia. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is there are two things that I really love. One of them is Christmas and the other one is cricket. I fucking love cricket. Now I know that you guys are here because you mostly hate sport but it's okay, there's <laughs> going to be a story with it. okay? So the year was 2006, it was the end of 2006 and Something very exciting was about to happen, the ashes were about to take place in Australia. Now what I should also mention at the time is I was drinking very heavily and it was brought to my attention that it may be a problem and maybe I should stop drinking very heavily. So what I did was I stopped drinking very heavily and then I started experiencing these things called feelings and I would spend a lot of time in my apartment lying down because I had so much sad. And uh, at the time I was in a relationship which was uh, just skyrocketing uh, into a neglect and, uh, and uh, just just averageness in every kind of way and we were drifting apart with civility. And uh, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. So what I thought might cheer me up was to go to the Ashes, to go to the cricket at the time I was living in Sydney and what I wanted to do was go to Melbourne, to the MCG, to the Melbourne Cricket Ground to watch this very exciting match. So what that meant was we would have to cancel Christmas uh, with my mum and my dad my sister sister and I were going to go down with our respective partners. Uh, Me and my partner would also be taking our best CPR to see if we could revive our struggling, drained relationship. So what we did is we said to mum, we're not going to be going to Christmas this year. And she said, no, that's not how it works. We are going to be doing Christmas, but we're going to have it uh, three days before at my house. So we'll get to do best of both worlds. Oh, wasn't it? So uh, my sister and I went to my mum's house and we had a big uh, a big hot roast dinner because my mum is English and still insists on that despite the 40 degree Christmas days that we were having at the time. And so I hadn't drunk for about three weeks and I was fairly off my head with sanity. And so we were sitting around the dinner table and my sister said, oh, I never wear these on stage and I know why because I sort of sit there doing that all the time. People like, <laughs> oh it's good that she's trying anyway so uh, my sister brought a bottle of aged wine to the table to the dinner and she said to me would you like some and I went well of course I'm not going to get drunk it's expensive wine (laughs) because that's how science works and so I said to her can I'll just have half a glass I'll just have half a glass. And uh, she said, okay, so she poured it. And, uh, And because I am a refined lady, I took a little sip and then I remembered that I loved alcohol and so I sat there for the rest of the meal watching my family to see if they were watching me watching this glass because there was still that much wine and it was just me and the wine and because what I wanted to do was grab the glass smash the end of it and just chug it down my throat Uh, but I didn't because I'm a lady so at the end of the meal when I had finished my dinner like humans do I thought I will just casually finish the rest of this wine and I say this and to this day no one has ever related or identified with this experience but I'm going to say it again just on the off chance, someone is having a tough time with alcohol and they think maybe I should reconsider too. What happened was I picked the glass of wine up and I finished the rest and then I experienced the sound of growling dogs within me that I could actually hear. I had an out-of-body experience but was having a silent panic attack because I couldn't tell my mother or my sister that I was having a terrible relationship with alcohol and what I'd just done was a bad, bad idea. So that was the last time that I had a drink, which was the 22nd of December 2006. And so two days later, my sister and I... Thank you. um, I'm not seven years sober yet. It called Change Tonight. Um, But warm up the bar, fuckers. No, um... (laughs) So uh, what, what my sister and I did is uh, we got on a plane and we went down to Melbourne. And so there was quite a lot riding on this game. Uh, <laughs> little did the Australian cricket team know that. But we are only going for the first day, the boxing day, and I'd always watched it as a kid. And I don't know what it is. It's the soundtrack of my summer every year and it's a very comforting sound to me. I still watch cricket all the time. I'll be staying up tonight uh, or waking up early because it's Perth. You know, I'm, I know you were sitting there going, wait, that doesn't work with the time difference. Good pickup. Um, so I will. I still watch The Ashes and it is one of my most favourite things in the world. So it was this soothing idea that I was sort of heading towards and I was very, very excited about that. Now, what else I haven't told you is Warnie was still playing. This is back when Shane Warne, legendary spin bowler, uh, was playing and he was about to get what had happened in the test before, which I'm sure you are dying to know. <laughs> what happened was Shane Warne got 699 tests test wickets, right? He'd clock that up. So on the first day, there was a very, very good chance that Shane Warne was going to break the record for the most test wickets of all time, and I was going to be there. And this was very exciting. So not only was this game possibly going to reinvigorate my relationship of seven years that had been on the incremental decline for quite some time, Not only was Shane and this game a bit of a beacon of hope in my newly sober, treacherous life, but on top of that, I could be watching history being made. A little bit of pressure. So I'm three days sober and I walk into the MCG and there's the crowd and they're yelling and I remember, that's right, dickheads go to the cricket. (laughs) So I'm surrounded by a lot of alcohol. A lot of fuckwits. (laughs) But it's okay, because Shane's going to play. So my sister and I are sitting next to each other, and the... The atmosphere is absolutely electric. We are riveted to be there. This has been a childhood dream. I'm pretty sure we would have called Dad and told him and he wouldn't have answered. And anyway, um, that's fine. No, I'm joking. Um, am I? Who knows? Uh, and so, because the thing was, the reason we started watching cricket when we were younger, you know, some might say because, you know, we, we loved we loved it and, and it's part of Australian tradition. Other people might say it was a little way to get our father's attention. Saying he used to do that all summer so maybe that was a way into his heart we'll never know um so me and my sister were sitting next to each other and uh about I don't know maybe three or four overs in Shane Warne takes to the crease and the whole MCG is on their feet they are screaming we are screaming we can't believe what we're about to witness now do you this sounds overdrawn, but for someone that loves cricket, this was a fucking moment. So we're standing up, and what happens every ball when Shane Warren takes the run up to bowl is the crowd does the roller coaster where they go first ball, second ball, he runs up, third ball, he runs up. Oh, and it was at that point I realised, that's right, test cricket takes fucking ages for anything to happen. So he bowled the over out. The next time he came up, the same thing happened. We're like, this could be it, this could be it. And that's mostly what test cricket is, watching it, hoping that anything will happen. But every ball holds so much hope and possibility. That is, It's kind of like... Cricket is kind of like um, male pattern baldness or Jewishness. It can only be passed down through the family. It's not something that you can newly acquire. So this long, this long, long, long time long is within us. And Shane Ward takes to the crease for the third time. And he runs up. (coughs) Nothing. (laughs) Second ball. He runs up. (coughs) Now by the third... Ball, we'd sort of we got it, we got the gist. It probably wasn't going to happen that over. So on the third ball, everyone had sat down, and we all sort of sit down and do it. Now on the fourth ball, Shane Warne takes the run up. No one's doing the roller coaster, and my sister turns to me and she said, "Would you like a cup of passiona?" And then eighty thousand people stand up and cheer as Shane Warne had taken the 700th wicket as my sister was asking me whether I would like a glass of soft drink. And I watched that momentous historic ball on replay. (laughs) (laughs) The relationship broke up about six weeks later, but I still haven't had a drink. So Shane and I are on... We're on ambivalent terms, I'll say that. (laughs) This is the last thing I will leave you on. Uh, My family were really into Christmas uh, in in that they liked the idea of it. They weren't into the sentimentality of it. I was. I was very over sentimental, and uh, I remember one night saying to my mum, "Going, mum, mum, can we all sit around the Christmas tree and sing Christmas carols?" And she said, "You can." And so, (laughs) you know, you can if you believe you can, Felicity. And so, what I did was I went into the lounge room and uh, I got my cassette tape out of the Little Drummer Boy, all the greatest hits. And I popped it on and I turned out all the lights and there was this big tree and I was a very little child. I was probably seven or eight and I was no bigger than a watering can. And I sat down in front of this tree and I went to sing The Little Drummer Boy and I put my knees on the ground and I kneeled on a wasp. (laughs) Now why a wasp was on the carpet at 10 o'clock at night inside in the lounge room. I will never know. But I do know it was vindictive and it has left a scar. So have a very Merry Christmas and thank you very much for having me.
0: So I feel a bit worried about speaking to this microphone because most of the people who've used it tonight seem to be ill. Uh, But, you know, hey, why not? I think... are we gonna do? I think we'll do another sing along now. I think that makes sense. Uh, because we did, we're, we're running all right. We're running okay. You're all right. So our next sing along is uh, "Last Christmas." I gave you my heart. I'm hoping that you're gonna do the bulk of the singing, guys, because I hate George Michael. I don't hate him actually. I don't hate him. I don't hate him. He's all right.
1: Wham! I hate right.
3: Rogue, I don't know what
0: we done. <laughs> I destroyed the one.
3: Whoa. That's the one.
0: That, that's a trap. That's a definitely a tragic rendition of that song. Wow. What did I do? What did I do? I don't even understand. I know I did. Try pressing the buttons now, I bet they work. Oh, they're all right. I think I unplugged you, I think that's what I did. On my knees. I'm not that bothered. Did everyone feel that was a good ending to the song? Let's face it, the reason I wanted you guys to cover it was not so much that I don't like George Michael, although I'm not that keen. Uh, It was more like uh, I don't know any of the melody apart from the chorus. I mean, most of us felt that, yeah? Am I on my own? Oh no, okay. Everybody else loves Christmas, though, so that's the thing. Uh, Okay, how do you feel? You're all right, Kit? Yeah? You're feeling all right? Sorry I destroyed you. There we go. That's a tragic Christmas moment. Bye-bye, Beck. Uh, So now I'm going to introduce my next act after I've destroyed you in your, like, souls and your ears. Uh, This is a... Can you follow it? Can you follow it, George? Can you follow this? Who can follow this? Uh, So our next act is the Super Bard. He's come all the way from the future to be here. So, I mean, you should be impressed by that for sure. You can find him at superbard.co.uk and he also has an excellent podcast called Super Bard Under the Sea that you can subscribe to on iTunes, so you should check that out too. Uh, so put your hands together for the
4: Superbards) yeah. Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to follow that. Um, it may, maybe I should pull out the little lead and get a nice little good buzz going. Um, I've bought loads of equipment with me today, so this is all going to go wrong. And if that produces the same hilarity, then I think we're going to win. I think we'll be OK. Um, so when, when Dave asked me to do this uh, for Christmas uh, he's like, you know, uh, come do a Christmas story I was like, excellent, I've got loads of Christmas stories and he's like, yeah, it's tragic Christmas and I was like, I've already said yes good I have no tragic Christmas stories um, I, basically all my Christmas stories largely go along the lines of and then Santa comes and everything is awesome uh, laughter it's like, uh, or some, you know. Sometimes they're fictional. Uh, some, sometimes they're real. Sometimes they're about me meeting Santa somewhere and he gives me a present and it's great. Uh, or yeah, sometimes I make up like some Scrooge character, uh, but then the ghosts visit him and everything is brilliant at the end. Um, so what I tried to do was leave the good bit at the end out. That's how I'm doing a tragic Christmas story. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be tragic. Hopefully you'll go with me in it. Um, it'll be it'll be great. Um, but this does mean I'm I'm going to shout this. What do I shout, Lucy? Can you do it for me? Hey, new shit.
5: Hey,
6: new ship! Brilliant. <laughs> so that's to let you know that it's
5: Christmas.
4: Can you you cut it? I I was worried some of you might not. I am an estate agent, but I'm not a wanker, though the magic of Christmas can suck my balls. Okay, so what I've done a character very quickly Uh, so so we all know that estate agents probably are wankers um, but this one thinks he isn't that's where the irony is (laughs) good it's a new toy I'll be playing with it a lot Uh, so life story Uh, so public school primary, secondary geography at Oxford, Brooks. Uh, Dad wouldn't help me on the ladder, so south of the river, Clapham. Hence, estate agent, uh, Foxton's, natch. Uh, Well, what the fuck else was I going to do? The the point is, it was that or recruitment. But I'm not an estate agent through choice, yeah? Now, some of you may be thinking that this is a two-dimensional caricature, but I'm I'm actually a professional storyteller, um, and there's going to be development through the... it's going to start with a little bit of a caricature and then we're going to move on. Can you all do this with me? <laughs> move on. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, at Foxton's, it's work hard, play hard, meaning we don't really believe in Christmas. We only close on the 25th. And that, that's actually true. That's a real thing. <laughs> I mean, who actually wants to buy a house on Christmas Eve? The sort of people Foxton's want to sell to. Uh, So it's Christmas Eve, it's me, Tommy and Flora in the office. They're flirting in the corner. I'm working until six because it's one and a half times pay and a lot of my friends live in Knightsbridge. It's only through bonuses and overtime that I keep up. And the minute hand ticks to six like a... Well, there is no minute hand in Foxton, it's all digital but the pixels sort of move anyway, and I am out of there. I head down the weirdly weirdly dead high street to the Falcon. Now, the reason I'm here is because mum and dad moved to HK and they won't pay for my flight. Middle brother is finding himself in Berlin, younger brother in Chile, and the Knightsbridge crew have all the sort of jobs that mean they left town at the weekend. So I am having an ironic Christmas with my housemates Maria and Dingo. They're, they're at the pub waiting for me. Maria is Brazilian, gorgeous, knows the English words for wine, sandwich, and fuck. She works at Pret. <laughs> Dingo is Australian, and that's his actual name? Liz? His parents christened him Dingo. His, on his passport, it says Dingo, as in D-I-N-G-O. D-I-N-G-O, Dingo was his name. Oh. I arrived. you're round mate uh, so I should point out that Dingo actually has been living in London quite a while so his accent might slip <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean I just got here Maria's broke I just bought around and it's fucking Christmas you cheapskate Maria laughs at me though I, I don't think she understood I can only think of a convict joke, so instead I head to the bar, detouring via the gems. It's all very technical here. That's what I'm saying. Now the pissers in the Falcon are cold, draughty, two urinals. In the right-hand cubicle is fucking Father Christmas. Obviously not the real Father Christmas, because A, he doesn't exist, and B, if he did, I don't think he'd piss with one hand against the wall to steady himself and only have about a 60% urinal hit rate. He's a bit stained and grubby, but the costume is top-notch, belly, proper white beard, awesome boots. I do the usual. Willie out, peel back, pee, eyes straight ahead. He turns to stare while I finish up. Now... Ladies, I don't, I don't know if you know, this is not on. We don't do that in the gents. I give him a look. His willy is still out. There are obvious pee drips down his trousers. He does up his flies and says, what do you want for Christmas? And I have one of those moments where you get taken back. The last person to say that to me was another guy dressed in a costume at Marwell Zoo Winter Wonderland. I'm maybe 13, too old, but not not for, uh, you know, the Winterlanderland and for my younger brothers. It's it's a surprise trip. They always were, though. Uh, So it was so regularly a surprise that whenever the padre said, we're going on a mystery tour, we all knew we were going to see Marwell to see fake Father Christmas. So, Winter Wonderland, room after room of Christmas scenes. You'd walk through, there'd be like sort of sparkly lights, crappy animatronics, and at the end you'd go to Santa's Grotto and you'd get a five-pound gift they'd bought in bulk from Lidl. Thirteen sat on Santa's knee and he asked me that bloody question. What do you want for Christmas? I said a PlayStation, because I was the right age, so I thought that would have been bloody obvious. But he held me by the shoulders and said... What do you really want for Christmas? And then apparently I started crying. Uh, well, I say apparently, I, I, I did start crying. I came out and my dad said, What happened? Did he touch you? I said, Yes. Because of course he did touch me. He put me on his knee. But paedophilia wasn't a big thing back then, um, and we never went again. That that was Marwell Zoo's last Winter Wonderland, and my dad got a brand new Porsche for Christmas. True story. But the reason I cried was because what what I what I really wanted uh, was was a best friend and. I knew it wasn't going to happen I wasn't friendless or anything It's just, well, throughout my life Me and my friends have sort of come in threes And the opposite side of the triangle is always stronger The other Christmas in front of me now In a toilet in Clapham Burps Like a tramp Tramper claws.
5: <laughs>
4: Father Hobomus. Merry old Saint Bum He stumbles And I help him to where he can steady himself with the sink He looks me dead on, wavering slightly and says with a twinkle in his eye what would you really want for Christmas? First reaction to that twinkle I'm not giving you a blowjob (laughs) just not doing it experimented enough at school it's not my cup of tea but then I took him in again that white beard is real and yeah, the coat might smell of piss, but it's definitely actual fur. He might not be able to stand up straight, but... And I think, well, well, maybe, even, even if it was just a best friend for an evening, like one of those guys that you hang out with and then it's Jake's, but then they have to go back to Norway. <laughs> I say, um... and this is where the adventure would usually start. But it's, it's tragic Christmas, so I'm going to have to do something slightly different. But just so you know, adventure now, and it would be amazing, and there'd be sleighs, and flying through, and maybe, maybe like my Father Christmas would really be quite horrible and burpy, uh, just be a bit filthy with it, and give all the children horrible, like, little mini, uh, like the little mini bottles you get in airplanes, and that's what I'd give to all the children that's you around. That would be my ideal Christmas story. But it's a tragedy I'm not doing it (laughs) He wiggles his belly like a bowl full of jelly All over me Proper, no mess Oh, that's the wrong button Proper, no messing around Massive vomit onto my thigh Oh goody Merry Christmas to you too And it's then that I actually start feeling quite sorry for myself, actually, because it's shit, isn't it, Christmas? Santa's a knob jockey who doesn't turn up even if he's your dad, and and you think of Christmas round the fire, but my flat isn't a period conversion, so that can't happen. It's like it highlights every little bit of how shit my life is. No one grows up wanting to be an estate agent. The Christmas dream is regurgitated carrots on my boot, this is my only suit, so I don't know how I'm going to get it cleaned up before I'm back to work on Boxing Day. I grab as much loo roll as I can and clean us both up. Thank you very much. I've been Super barred.
0: Yeah, I like booking people who are positive about things because it makes them have to ruin the things they love. I don't have to worry about that because I'm not very positive. Uh, so we're going to do a sing-along now. Uh, and it's going to be uh, another song. Yeah, there we go. That's right, work it. It's going to be a song much closer to my heart than George Michael. says. So hang on. No, no, no. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay, right. Here we go. So it's Fairytale of New York. Or D-Zoom, as I like to call it. welcome our last performer now, and then we have this act and then I'm going to lead us in a sing-along that I wrote to end the night so uh, our next performer is James Mackay I've started <laughs> saying his name right these days for years I didn't <laughs> www.mackaypoetry.com uh, you can find him. He's a man who has a snuffkin tattoo and as a man who's wearing a snuffkin T-shirt, I can appreciate the fuck out of that. Uh, and uh, he <laughs> had an, a brilliant Edinburgh show uh, where he did Victorian recitals. He's a, an amazing reciter and poet. Put your hands together for James
6: McKay! So, Christmas... It's all about the kiddies, isn't it? Uh, And so I'm going to read you a children's story. A lot of kiddies are going to be getting storybooks for Christmas on Christmas morning, and they're going to be really disappointed. Uh, But in Victorian times, they might well have had a copy, and this is a genuine book. It's a genuine story that I'm going to read you from a book published in 1882 called The Anyhow Stories. Uh, If you got this for Christmas, they'd be more than disappointed. They'd be fucking traumatised. If you tried reading this to small children nowadays, the social would be informed within... A matter of seconds. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm going to top and tailor. I'm going to give you the setup and give you the punchline, but you need to be comfortable. Is everyone sitting comfortably? Yes. Shall we begin? It's called The New Mother. The children were always called Blue Eyes and the Turkey. The elder one was like her dear father who was far away at sea, for the father had the bluest of blue eyes, and so gradually his little girl came to be called after them. The younger one had once, while she was still almost a baby, cried bitterly because a turkey that lived near the cottage suddenly vanished in the middle of the winter. And to console her, she was called by its name. Now, the mother and blue eyes and the turkey and the baby all lived in a lonely cottage on the edge of the forest. It was a long way to the village, nearly a mile and a half, and the mother had to work hard and had not time to go often herself to see if there was a letter at the post office from the dear father. And so very often in the afternoon, she used to send the two children. When they came back tired with the long walk, there would be the mother and the tea would be ready. And if by any chance there was a letter from the sea, then they were happy indeed. The cottage room was so cosy. The walls were white as snow, inside as well as out. "'Dear children,' said the mother one afternoon late in the autumn, "'it is very chilly for you to go to the village, "'but you must walk quickly, and who knows but what? "'You may bring back a letter, "'saying that the dear father is already on his way back to England. "'Don't be long,' the mother said, as she always did. "'Go the nearest way, and don't look at any strangers you meet, "'and be sure you do not talk to them.' "'No, mother,' they answered, and they joyfully started on their way. "'The village was gayer than usual.' for there had been a fair the day before. It's a highbrow audience, this. (laughs) Oh, I I do wish we had been here yesterday, Blue Eyes said, as they went on to the post office. The postmistress was very busy and just said, no letter for you today. Then Blue Eyes and the turkey turned away to go home. They had left the village and walked some way, and then they noticed, resting against a pile of stones by the wayside, a strange, wild-looking girl, who seemed to be about 15 years old. She was dressed in very ragged clothes. Her hair was coal black and hung down, uncombed and unfastened. She had something hidden under her shawl. On seeing them coming towards her, she carefully put it under her and sat upon it. She sat, watching the children approach and did not move or stir till they were within a yard of her. Then she wiped her eyes, just as if she'd been crying bitterly, and looked up. The children stood still in front of her for a moment, staring. Perhaps you have lost yourself, they said gently, but the girl answered promptly, Certainly not. Why, you have just found me. Besides, she added, I live in the village. The children were surprised at this, for they had never seen her before. Then the turkey, who had an inquiring mind, put a question. What are you sitting on, she asked. On a pear drum, she answered. What is a pear drum, they asked. I am surprised at your not knowing, the girl answered. Most people in good society have one. And then she pulled it out and showed it to them. It was a curious instrument, a good deal like a guitar in shape. It had three strings but only two pegs by which to tune them. But the strange thing about the pear drum was not the music it made, but a little square box attached to one side. Where did you get it? The children asked. I bought it, the girl answered. Didn't it cost a great deal of money, they asked. Yes, answered the girl slowly. I am very rich, she added. You don't look rich, they said. Perhaps not, the girl answered cheerfully. At this, the children gathered courage and ventured to remark, You look rather shabby. Indeed, said the girl. "'A little shabbiness is very respectable,' she added. "'I really must tell them this,' she continued, "'and the children wondered what she meant. "'She opened the little box by the side of the pear drum "'and said, just as if she were speaking to someone who could hear her, "'They say I look rather shabby. It's quite lucky, isn't it? "'Why, you are not speaking to anyone,' they said. "'Oh, dear, yes,' she said. "'I am speaking to them both.' "'Both?' they said, wondering. "'Yes.' I have here a little man dressed as a peasant and a little woman to match. I put them on the lid of the box, and when I play, they dance most beautifully. Oh, let us see, do let us see, the children cried. Then the village girl looked at them doubtfully. Let you see, she said. Well, I'm not sure that I can. Tell me, are you good? Yes, yes, they answered eagerly. We are very good. Then it's quite impossible, she answered. I only show them to naughty children. And the worse the children, the better the man and woman dance. She put the pair drum carefully under her ragged cloak and prepared to go on her way. I really could not have believed that you were good, she said reproachfully. Well, good day. Oh. ''But we will be naughty,'' they said in despair. ''I'm afraid you couldn't,'' she answered, shaking her head. ''It requires a great deal of skill to be naughty well.'' ''That's true.'' And swiftly she walked away while the children felt their eyes filled with tears. ''If only we had been naughty,'' they said. ''We should have seen them dance.'' ''Suppose,'' said the turkey, ''we try to be naughty today. Perhaps she would let us see them tomorrow.'' But oh, said blue eyes, I don't know how to be naughty. The turkey thought a few minutes in silence. I think I can be naughty (laughs) if I try, she said. I'll try tonight. Oh, don't be naughty without me, she cried. You know I want to see the little man and woman just as much as you do. And so quarrelling and crying, they reached their home. When their mother saw them, she was greatly astonished and, fearing they were hurt, ran to meet them. Oh, my dear, dear children, she said, what is the matter? But they did not dare tell their mother about the village girl and the pear drum and the little man and woman, so they answered, nothing is the matter, and cried all the more. Poor children, the mother said to herself. They are tired, and perhaps they are hungry. After tea, they will be better. And she put the kettle on to boil and set the tea things on the table. Then she went to the little cupboard and took out some bread and said, Dear little children, come and have your tea. Come, children, the mother said again. Here is nice sweet bread for tea. Then suddenly she looked up and saw that the turkey's eyes were full of tears. "'Turkey!' she exclaimed. "'My dear little turkey, what is the matter? "'Come to mother, my sweet!' "'And she held out her arms, and turkey ran swiftly into them. "'Oh, mother!' she sobbed. "'Oh, dear mother, if we were very, very naughty "'and wouldn't be good, what then?' "'Then,' said the mother sadly, "'then,' she said, "'I should have to go away and leave you "'and to send home a new mother with glass eyes.' and a wooden tail. (laughs) We're going to skip a bit in the middle of this story now. If you want to hold the real thing, I I have got a recording of this and be doing, which I'm going to put up, so do check the blog. It does go on a little bit, but you can can kind of guess what happens uh, in the middle bit, but we're getting to the punchline now. This is the bit that's guaranteed to traumatise people. (laughs) 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 Then, after several attempts to be naughty and not being naughty enough, and it all goes on and on, Then the children went home and were, oh, so very, very naughty that the dear mother's heart ached and her eyes filled with tears, and at last she went upstairs and slowly put on her best gown and her new sunbonnet. And she dressed the baby up in its, all its Sunday clothes and then she came down and stood before Blue Eyes and the turkey and just as she did, the turkey threw the looking glass out the window and it fell with a loud crash upon the ground. Goodbye, my children, the mother said sadly, kissing them. The new mother will be home presently. Oh, my poor children. And then weeping bitterly, the mother took the baby in her arms and turned to leave the house. Just by the corner of the fields, she stopped and turned and waved her handkerchief, all wet with tears, to the children at the window. She made the baby kiss his hand, and in a moment, mother and baby had vanished from sight. Then the children felt their hearts ache with sorrow, and they cried bitterly, and yet they could not believe that she had gone. And the broken clock stuck eleven, and suddenly there was a sound, a quick, clanging, jangling sound. They rushed to the open window, and there they saw the village girl, dancing along and playing as she did so. "'We have done all you told us,' the children called. "'Come and see, and now show us the little man and woman!' The girl did not cease her playing or her dancing, but she called out in a voice that was half speaking, half singing. "'You did it all badly.' You threw the water on the wrong side of the fire. The clock wasn't broken enough. You did not stand the baby on its head. She was already passing the cottage. She did not stop singing, and all she said sounded like part of a terrible song. I am going to my own land, the girls sang, to the land where I was born. But our mother is gone, the children cried. Our dear mother, will she ever come back? No sang the girl, she'll never come back, she took a boat upon the river, she is sailing to the sea, she will meet your father once again and they will go sailing on. Then the girl, her voice getting fainter and fainter in the distance, called out once more to them, your new mother is coming. She is already on her way, but she only walks slowly, for her tail is rather long, and her spectacles are left behind, but she is coming, she is coming, coming, coming. The last word died away. It was the last one they ever heard the village girl utter. Then the children turned and looked at each other and at the little cottage home that only a week before had been so cosy and spotless. The fire was out, the clock all broken and spoilt, and there was the baby's high chair with no baby to sit in it. There was the cupboard on the wall and never a sweet loaf on its shelf and there were the broken mugs and the bits of bread tossed about and the greasy boards which the mother had knelt down to scrub until they were white as snow. In the midst of all stood the children, looking at the wreck they had made with their poor little hands clasped in misery. I don't know what I shall do if the new mother comes, cried blue eyes. The turkey stopped crying for a minute to think what should be done. We will bolt the door and shut the window and we won't take any notice when she knocks. All through the afternoon they sat watching and listening for fear of the new mother, but they saw and heard nothing of her, and gradually they became less and less afraid. They fetched a pail of water and washed the floor. They picked up the broken mugs and made the room as neat as they could. There was no sweet loaf to put on the table, but perhaps the mother would bring something from the village, they thought. At last all was ready, and blue eyes and the turkey washed their faces and their hands and then sat and waited suddenly while they were sitting by the fire they heard a sound as of something heavy being dragged along the ground outside and then there was a loud and terrible knocking at the door the children felt their hearts stand still they knew it could not be their own mother for she would have turned the handle and tried to come in without any knocking at all "'Again there came a loud and terrible knocking. "'She'll break the door down if she knocks so hard,' cried Blue Eyes. "'Go and put your back to it,' whispered the turkey, "'and I'll peep out of the window and try to see if it is really the new mother.' So in fear and trembling, Blue Eyes put her back against the door, and the turkey went to the window. She could just see a black satin bonnet with a frill around the edge and a long, bony arm carrying a black leather bag.' From beneath the bonnet there flashed a strange bright light and Turkey's heart sank and her cheeks turned pale for she knew it was the flashing of two glass eyes. It is, it is, it is, she whispered. It is the new mother. Together they stood with their two little backs against the door. There was a long pause. They thought perhaps the new mother had made up her mind that there was no one at home to let her in and would go away. But presently, the two children heard through the thin wooden door the new mother move a little and then say to herself, I must break the door open with my tail. For one terrible moment all was still but in it the children could almost hear her lift up her tail and then with a fearful blow the little painted door cracked and splintered with a shriek the children darted from the spot and fled through the cottage and out the back door into the forest beyond all night long they stayed in the darkness and the cold and all the next day and the next and all through the cold dreary days and the long dark nights that followed They are there still, my children. All through the long weeks and months, they have been there with only green rushes for their pillows and only the brown dead leaves to cover them, feeding on the wild strawberries in the summer, on the blackberries when they are no longer sour in the autumn and in the winter on the little red berries that ripen in the snow. They wander about among the tall dark firs or beneath the great trees beyond. Sometimes... They stay to rest beside the little pool near the cots, and they long and long with a longing that is greater than words can say to see their own dear mother again, just once again, to tell her they'll be good forevermore, just once again. And still the new mother stays in the little cottage but the windows are closed and the doors are shut and no one knows what the inside looks like. Now and then, When the darkness has fallen and the night is still hand in hand blue eyes and the turkey creep up near the home in which they were once so happy and with beating hearts they watch and listen sometimes a blinding flash comes through the window and they know it is the light from the new mother's glass eyes or they hear a strange muffled noise and they know it is the sound of her wooden tail as she drags it along the floor Merry Christmas. <laughs>
0: okay. So. Wow. I wouldn't leave you all on that. So we're going to do a song. Now, the thing is about Christmas. Yeah, sure, I've had some tragic ones. But... And, and and you know, other people in the room have had even more tragic ones than mine. But uh, it sort of makes you is, yeah. is it am I plugged into the right thing? No, plugged <laughs> into, into anything. Am I plugged into anything? Well sort of. Yeah, the zeitgeist <laughs> If only. Is that even working? Is that working? Oh, lovely. Feedback. Is that, is that coming through? Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, we're gonna do a song. Uh, this is the chorus. I'm gonna start with the chorus. Uh, but every time the chorus happens after that, um, hopefully you guys will sing along. It's a pretty simple song. Now the thing is, I had some tragic Christmases, but then uh, I had some children in my life and then I wanted to write a song for them about Christmas. So this isn't a sad song, it's a happy song, kind of. About what I think Christmas should be about, I guess. Being nice. Oh. Is that actually going through? I can't hear it. No, it's not very loud. Man, there's no clear no difference. Do you think it's the mic? Do you think it's the amp? I don't know. Fuck it. I think it's the player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sam. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's Sammy, wrote the tune for the podcast. <laughs> I, I'm just going to play really loudly, and you're going to sing along. Yeah. Why do you have to be so You have to be so nice because Santa Claus is coming tonight. He's the one who makes everything all right. Okay, so I can't play a ukulele in a diagonal position. So, what I'm gonna do is, oh wow. Is this gonna, is it? people hear that this really is a tragic end okay all right okay so we're gonna go into the into the first verse with uh, hope in our hearts <laughs> all of the leaves on the trees are covered in ice and the street lights bathe the snow in their light. The ice makes him faster As he flies
1: through the night Yeah He sees all the chimneys By their streetlights Why do you
0: have to All together now Be so nice Yeah Why do you have to Be so nice Because Santa Claus Is coming tonight He's the one who makes
1: everything alright
3: lucky we are
1: No deal, but thank you very
0: much.
1: So, uh, if you can start the outro music, that would be good.
0: What? I don't know. I mean, Santa. I don't believe in Jesus, bye. don't believe in Santa either. I don't know. Anyway, buy uh, the Fancy. donate to Arts Emergency as you leave, please do. Uh, you can find us at standuptragedy.co.uk. We've overrun today, but that's Christmas, isn't it? You start the, you start the cooking in the morning and you end up eating in the evening. So uh, here we go. We're on Facebook. We've got a podcast. The next night is on the 17th of January in the Attic. Tragic beginnings. It's time to go because the tragedy is over. explore the tragic Christmas experience with a podcast put together by Bryony Hawkins Stand Up Tragedy podcast producer Share your festive tragedies with us on Twitter using the hashtag TragicXmas Make friends with some tragedy by friending us on Facebook or following us at Stand Up For Tragedy on Twitter. Our website is www.standuptragedy.com.uk and we are back with another live night of tragic variety on the 17th of January, where we'll be exploring tragic beginnings at the Hackney This podcast was recorded by Stephen Harvey, with music from Sam Wilkinson.